Hi, all. This is Gabriel Jarrett. I played Mitch Taylor from Real Genius. That's right. And you are listening to Hydrate Level 4. I do. Hi, this is Marty McFly, and you're listening to Hydrate Level 4. Boy, oh boy, Mom, you sure know how to hydrate a good podcast. Welcome to Hydrate Level 4, and I'm your host, Peter. And today's episode is an interview with actor Gabriel Jarrett. He made some appearances in films like The Karate Kid Part 3, Apollo 13, The Poseidon Adventure Remake, and also Ron Howard's Frost Nixon. Listeners of this podcast will know him as Mitch Taylor from the 1985 movie Real Genius, uh, which also starred Val Kilmer. Uh, For those that have missed it, I did a review with Margot from the Book vs. Movie podcast on episode 105. Um, I will retroactively go back and include uh, this interview onto that review as well. Mr. Jarrett talks about uh, his time filming Real Genius and also uh, some of the behind the scenes. He also talks about singing for a rock group called The Unknown, uh, which was based out of LA uh, back in the early 1990s. And this is his interview. Peter, how you doing? Doing pretty good. How are you this evening? I'm pretty good, actually. Good, good, uh, good to It's hear. gorgeous, and I'm driving on a clear freeway in L.A., which only happens at this time of night. Oh, very nice. I was just there uh, last year uh, myself. I'm in Portland, Oregon, so I don't, I don't make too many trips to California, but it's definitely beautiful. Oh, Oregon's gorgeous. I mean, you know... Maybe you, don't, you might not have the, the heat in the summertime, but that's kind of a good thing. Yeah, <laughs> it is. I, I, I do like our uh, 70, 80 degree weather uh, during the summer. <laughs> cool. Cool, cool, cool. Love it. All right. So um, what do you uh, remember about the auditioning process and getting the role as Mitch Taylor? Oh, boy. Okay. Well, the auditioning process, I, I, I actually, I already knew that they had... They had somebody, they hired someone who was actually uh, a real, real genius, not an actor. Uh, they figured they could use the, you know, the, the life experience of a, a, a genius, a real genius. It's hard not to say real genius over and over again when you're actually using it in a sense. Yeah. Um, but um, but uh, they found out pretty quickly that um, uh, it's a different animal, you know, when you're in front of the camera and and having to put that out of your head, it's a totally different thing than just knowing what you're talking about. Because you also have to sound like you know what you're talking about and not bump into the furniture. And that's, uh, you know, it, it just, for whatever reason, they decided he, he wasn't able to do it. And so I, I uh, you know, I, I kind of had a, a little bit of like job vocation pride, I guess, if you can have that at 14. Um, and, uh, and so I, I went into it knowing that, and, uh, I actually screen tested after I read the first time after I had the call back, there was one more and I actually screen tested with Val, uh, with a couple of other actors. Uh, it was, I forget, it was pretty quick. I think it was about two weeks before I heard back that, uh, that I had, I actually got it. Now the uh, the director uh, Martha Coolidge, um, it it is known that she did a lot of research in the laser technology and um, all yep. of the all of the science that was depicted on film. Did you guys, as the actors, participate in much of the actual science? Uh, was it like uh, movie magic or was it practical effects? Uh, 
No, a lot of it was practical. Actually, most of it was practical. The 80s at that time, you know, I mean, we had computers, you know, but there's not a whole lot of rendering you can do with a Commodore 64. And so they, uh, almost all of it was practical, I think, except for the laser. Uh, the actual laser, I think, was drawn in uh, or rotoscoped or something like that. But, but no, most of it was practical. Um, so we got to see uh, everything but, but the laser effect. Did you have like a particular scene where um, there was, you know, some science that what what, what was uh, like your favorite s- scenes that involved the actual science? Like there's the the famous hallway scene with the ice skating. Yeah, no, actually, you're you're per- you're dead on. That's actually what I was going to say is the ice hallway was actually an ice hallway. Only there wasn't so much science to it. They, they didn't make it out of, uh, you know, uh, instant ice. Uh, they actually took freezer tubes that you would, you know, use in a, like a hockey rink. Uh-huh. And they ran them down the hallway. They lined the hallway with uh, plastic and uh, line, uh, ran them down the hallway and literally flooded the hallway and froze it. And, and that's, what we, that's what we were on. The only downside of it for me was that I was uh, 14, I think 15 when we shot that scene. Uh, it was right around my birthday. So um, I actually turned 15 on the set. But they they were so afraid that I was going to, you know, fall and hurt myself. I didn't, I, I, my stunt double was, you know, 30. Um, so, so it's not like, it's not like he was going to be real convincing, you know, uh, in any significant camera angle. So, so they were really worried that I was going to get hurt. And so I had people like, I wasn't allowed on the ice without someone with me. And they were walking behind me like I was 800 years old. I started the complex. I was like, "What the? Go away!" <laughs> like, I'm just a teenager. You guys are freaking me out. Now, being <laughs> one of the younger cast members, um, like off camera, did any of the other guys did they uh, like pull pranks on you, or was there any bit of a hazing since you were 14, 15 years um, old? Um. Well, no. Actually, it was a really tense uh, set, and being that it was my first movie, I, I you know, I. I thought it was normal, so I was okay uh, with it, but everyone was kind of a little on edge um, for for several reasons. Um, you know, Val was nice to me. We, he and I got along, but we didn't do a whole lot of, like, hanging out afterwards. You know, he had his own issues going on, and and uh, I'd say the, the cast member I hung out, uh, a couple of cast members I come out, uh, hung out with, I'd say the most was probably Jonathan Grice, the, the guy that played Polyphobe. Yeah, um, the the one in the closet. Yeah, yeah, and and actually Hathaway as well. Uh, um, Atherton, William Atherton. Yeah. Uh, so I'd say those are the two that I hung out with the most. But remember, being fourteen, fifteen, I had to go to school. So when the cameras weren't rolling, I usually had someone yanking me off into a schoolroom, and uh, you know, got to put up with more torture there, and then uh, went back on the set. So. Um, no, I didn't hang out with a whole lot, but I also didn't miss a whole lot because I was a teenager doing school, um, because it was just one of those sets. It was, everybody kind of kept to themselves and, uh, obviously we got uh, better as we went along, but, uh, now that I've, I've, you know, gone through some ups and downs and gone through some awesome experiences as an actor, I realized that that was one of the more tense sets to be on. Oh, very interesting. Uh, so between yeah. between going to school and and all of that, and what was uh, the direction like for for you to work with uh, Val uh, as far as your characters go? 
Well, we had so we had rehearsal time, and uh, what's interesting is a lot of the uh, the screen test that I did uh, was, and I, I'm I'm convinced to this day that that I didn't get me the job, that Val got me the job, uh, and I don't know if this was just him, you know, throwing his own spin on it or whatever, but he improved a whole bunch, and me, you know, coming from my background and my approach as, as uh, an actor, because I did go to class and stuff like that, but, you know, I was 14. I'm, you know, how much experience did I have? I didn't have a whole lot. It was my first movie. But um, I, that's kind of my forte is I was able to uh, not only go with what he was doing, but I was able to add to it. And I think, I think that, that his approach to the screen test is what ended up getting me the job. Um, and that, that rapport kept going. He and I actually did really, really well on camera. And even when the camera stopped rolling, it was just when everybody walked away from the cameras, it's just, it just, everybody into their own corners. But, uh, but he and I worked really well together. And I think that's, um, uh, that's, that translated on screen. Did you, did you guys, uh, or did you personally hang out with like, uh, Robert Prescott at all who plays Kent? I did. I did. Um, and I got along really well with Robert. I, I mean, he was, he, you know, he was just an awesome, nice guy. There, you know, and and really nice to me. Uh, but again, that age difference. Um, you know, we weren't hanging out after the after we wrapped. After we wrapped, I mean, you know, a couple of times, some folks went out drinking. I'm sure, but you know, I, I wasn't pounding them back at 15, so it, there wasn't a whole lot of interaction afterwards. It really was just a friendly group of people that I got to work with for three months. And since then, I've been on on uh, projects that have become literally like family, uh, and and you go through kind of a mourning period when you're not seeing your family every day. So yeah, we got along great, but it was it was like professionally great. Right. Yeah. Uh, being a very young teenager at the time, can you talk about like what filming your uh, kissing scenes with Michelle uh, Mayrink, who played Jordan, and uh, Patty <laughs> Darbinville as uh, as Sherry? Yes, I certainly can. Uh, Arbonville was the one that was um, uh, the older woman. And actually, she was married to Don Johnson at the time, which I knew. Um, and I, I'm like, oh, look, I'm kissing Crockett's <laughs> wife. And yes, I was. And, and uh, you know, my experience was what you see on camera, that, uh, that look of abject terror on my face. I'm not acting, not acting. I was, you know, it was just like, okay, here we are. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it, you know, it, it looks, it looks terrified. <laughs> you know, I'm, I look rather shocked. Uh, there's a reason for that. Um, and, uh, no, it was, it was real. I, you know, I like, I like the bragging rights I got afterwards. Um, but at the time I was, you know, I needed a new pair of shorts. <laughs> it is so I imagine it was nothing that was rehearsed. It was just kind of on the spot. Um, well, we rehearsed for blocking, but but the kiss actually was on the uh, uh, you know we were rolling on the kiss. Yeah, to to get more of a, the authentic look, I imagine. And we got it. <laughs> yep. <laughs> what what was it like filming that pool party scene with uh all all the uh, older women? Oh boy. Uh that was uh, not easy, uh, actually, because, uh, you know, it, that's when I was trying to get all the girls myself, and 
junior high back then. Um, and, uh, and so I was about as awkward as awkward could be. And then here I am the lead. And so, uh, you know, and as you know, during the, when you're filming party scenes, the music is not going on. Right. You know, they'll, they'll play the music. So people are, are dancing and then all of a sudden the music cuts and, you know, everybody's acting as if the music's still going on, but it's dead silent. And yeah, it, it, it dawned on me that all of these women in bikinis are like staring at me. Uh, and for much of it, I was soaking wet. So yeah, it, it, it was a, it was a bit, um, it was a bit daunting, I'd say. A, another moment of abject fear. I think that's what it was. I think it's just like, you know, I, I wear my heart on my sleeve and I think when I'm terrified, it just really, really read well on camera. Do you remember anything about the uh, the bathroom scene where Michelle uh, Mayring walks in on you? Like, uh, was that just uh, pantomiming, like you urinating, or? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I didn't. That, you know, it was just. If you notice in the shot, we're nowhere even near my waistline. Yeah. Um. So that was just that was actually more fun because of that to, for me, because I was actually able to, to have fun and play with her without feeling so completely awkward. And I think we got enough of that that uh, that one uh, type of fear, you know, the real one, the natural one. But uh, but I got to actually play with her and kind of listen. And that's when I kind of uh, kind of figured out, oh, geez, I hope I was listening in the other ones, and I was listening in the other in the other scenes because that's all I could do was listen. I was so terrified. Um, uh, luckily, that's where where some of the you know rehearsal and training came in and all that fun stuff. But um, uh, but in that particular scene, in the bathroom scene, I had I probably had the most fun with that. Uh, you you mentioned that on set uh, it was one of the more uh, tense uh, movies that you you've been a part of. Like what what are some stories that you're able to share that uh, some things that maybe happened like off camera? Well, I was actually shielded from a lot of it. It was just that at that particular time there were a lot of, um, the TriStar. Uh, production company, uh, the studio that was that was financing the film was going through a transition. I think it was Orion that was that was uh, buying them out or something. I might have the order backwards or, or, or uh, might be a little bit off on that. But um, and uh, so there was a lot of uh, fighting with the between the producer Brian Grazer and the the folks that were running the studio, and they weren't as keen on the movie as the as the folks at TriStar were and. It was just a lot of that type of business stuff. And then, you know, that was right at the beginning of Val's career. Uh, and he was kind of the, the, the golden boy, the, the up-and-comer. Uh, and, and, you know, I think even, you know, he's done interviews like this before. He knows that he was pulling a lot of ego back then. And he shot himself in the, in the foot. You know, he, he really was kind of, uh, you know, not coming out of his trailer until everything was perfect and, and what have you, and, and just ended up causing a lot of people a lot of uh, stress. And uh, it was nothing specific. I, you know, it's not like somebody blew up on the set and threw something across the room. Um, I'm, that might happen, but it didn't happen in front of me. Yeah, it was just a, it was just a matter of people being really stressed out. And that was my direct recollection of it. And then I heard stories about it later, and um, in fairness to him, uh, you know, I've, I've heard that, uh, that he's really mellowed out and, and, and uh, become a really decent guy to work with. Um, I haven't worked with him again, so I, I don't know, but I have seen him since then, and he was nothing but nice to me. 
So, you know, I, I think uh, I think he would cop to most of that, and and it added to the stress on the set. It, it really did. But but there was a lot of stress going on way before. What what was uh, what was it like filming the popcorn scene at the end? It was a lot of fun. Only by by the time we got to the popcorn scene, uh, the factory that was originally hired to pop all the popcorn uh, had burned down because uh, the the machines were not meant to pop popcorn, you know, twenty four seven, and it's hot oil, and the it, literally the factory burned down. Oh wow. Um, so all the popcorn that you see that we're playing in, except for the stuff that was in our hands, the stuff that was in our hands was handed to us. It was in a bag before we started shooting, and then we started throwing the, the other popcorn up. Well, you couldn't eat the other popcorn because it was all fireproofed. Oh, wow. So you're looking at, yeah, you're looking at 18 semi-truck loads full of worthless popcorn. Because, I mean, they couldn't even feed it to cows. They had to they put it in a dump. Now, um, did you have any uh, scenes that were particularly, like, uh, w one of your favorites, and, and why? One of my favorites, my favorite, probably, pro uh, pro actually, you know what, the, probably the, the um, there was a montage that we were doing where, where we were kind of allowed to come up with our own, like, hey, wouldn't it be cool if we did this, you know, like when we're, uh, right before we dismantle Kent's car, and put it in his uh, put it in his room. We go and we start taking it apart. You know, we were able to kind of play and and do stuff like that. So the montage was actually a lot of fun. Probably my favorite scene where we actually had uh, significant dialogue was uh, Jer um, Barney's Beanery. Uh, it was the the scene we're all in the diner. We're sitting down. We built a laser. It's successful. Yay! And Laszlo comes in and goes, Yeah, but what's it going to be used for? And, uh, you know, Val has the holy shit moment. And it was like that particular scene was, was a lot of fun because, you know, the, our characters supposed to were supposed to relax. So, ergo, we were more relaxed. Um, and we were, we were playing with each other a lot more and having just – we'd already been doing it, uh, shooting for a few weeks. We, we knew each other's rhythms and, and, and just had more fun doing it. So I'd, I'd probably say Barney's Beanery. That's where we shot. The, uh, the the scene where you guys are um, kind of going into the, the the government building and you're wearing a mustache. What was that? Uh, yeah. Was that in the script or because uh, I, I know you were young? Yeah, that was in the script. Um, and they, uh, I think they succeeded at it. They tried to get something that just was looked so absurd on my face. I, I think they couldn't have, the, the only way they could have done a better job is maybe if they put mutton chops on me, but it wouldn't affect <laughs> the time period. So, um, so, uh, you know, um, it, it was, that was, that was meant to be goofy and it was really, really itchy. Uh, cause spirit gum is, uh, is itchy and it just is. And, uh, and you know, I wasn't used to having any hair on my face whatsoever. So yeah, that was new. Do do you still keep in touch with anybody for, from uh, from the movie? Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, not. I don't like you know go and hang out with anybody, but I see I see John Grimes every now and then. Um, just did uh, we just did a reunion? Well, not a reunion, but a uh, you know thirtieth anniversary uh, thing. Yeah, we did a couple of things, and I I got to hang with uh, John again for a while, and he's always just been you know he's just good people. 
He's just good people. He's a fantastic actor. I, uh, you know, I've, I've loved him in, you know, all the movies we've seen him in since Get Shorty and uh, The Rundown. You name it. And and I mean, he's been in so many movies. You know, it's it, if you think about it, it's like, oh my God, you mean oh, you mean Uncle uh, oh, what's Uncle his character Rico? In, uh, <laughs> yeah, Uncle Rico, man, Uncle Rico. You know, it's like he's just he's just the consummate working actor. Um, and uh, and I the reason is, well, number one, he's a brilliant actor, but he also lets all of that stuff come out on in his work. Um, you get to see a lot of the sides of him come out in his work. The the the, the bad guy stuff is, you know, mm-hmm. when he's angry, and and the other stuff. And, and what's really nice is he also layers in characters on top of it, so so he kind of disappears as well. It's it's I you know I just have nothing but good things to say about the guy. Yeah, for those that uh, haven't checked out Real Genius in a long time, you kind of forget that um, he was in that movie, and it's funny because they made him, you know, appear to be like a, a much older student. A much older student, and and just like with the long hair, he just like he looked like a burnt out hippie, which you know he was he was our age. We're all you know we were well our age. He was about ten years older. Yeah. Um, and uh, but they all were and and uh, and uh, yeah they did make him look older and and you know but he's but then you turn around and you morph him into the get shorty character and uh, and and uh, Uncle Rico and it's like oh my God it, you know the guy is a chameleon um, and I think he does that by bringing so much of his own uh, personality into his characters. Now, uh, after the movie, what was it like, um, you know, just being associated with this movie? Did, uh, were there, like, a, a bunch of, like, cons back in the day or anything like that? Uh, no, no. This was, this was pre-con age. This was a different era. And, uh, and it, you know, it's, it's interesting. Real Genius, a lot of the, like you mentioned, the science behind it. Well, a lot of that is, has happened now is even commonplace now and no big, it doesn't seem like science fiction really. It's just more, you know, science. The concepts that they were talking about were really science fiction at that point. It's just 20, 30 years later, now we actually have uh, that laser that we were shooting. Okay, you don't see a, a, a beam of light, um, but the Navy is actually in use and carrying uh, that exact, concept of the uh of the laser knocking out targets from not from space but it's actually ship based and uh if you go i think it's, if you go on youtube you can actually see the test uh testing that they did on it but you just see this this uh you know gun looking thing uh that looks more like a cross between a telescope and a gun and it just leans up into the sky and then they focus in on this drone that's flying above and all you see is the drone just falls apart that's it game over no big sounds no big whoop you just see a big giant puff and all the you know the wings and the nose and everything come flying off the thing well they have it now and that was that was not in that was non-existent when we shot the movie um i do see that you did have a small uh role in karate kid three uh where yeah, yeah, it's the the club scene where um, you kind of walk up to Daniel and he he hits you in the face. What well, what was the yeah. filming of that like, and how how do you uh, get into uh, getting that role? 
Ah, uh, yes, you have brought up my my most challenging day of shooting ever. Oh, wow. Um, yes, man. Well, it's because I don't get sick often, but it's funny. I, I'm just getting over a cold right now. Um, but I was deathly ill for the shoot. And, uh, you know, being that uh, it was Karate Kid 3, it was one of my favorite things, I'm not going to give up the role. And they're not going to reschedule for me. Um, so I powered through the day, and, and what I didn't realize, I mean, I knew I had to do my own stunts, um, because of the angle, they, they told me that, you know, okay, I'm going to go sliding across the floor, there's going to be no pads, you're going to do your own stunts. Okay. Um, so, it ended up being an 18-hour shoot day, which... Uh, is great and is, is, is that would be taxing i mean i've done i've done 18 hours since then but not when i'm running a 103 degree fever uh and like it was i didn't have a cold i was i had the flu or so i i was sick and so i i showed up on set feeling like a truck hit me and i must have hit that dance floor about 50 times and i had I had pads on my elbows and shoulders, and, and you have to keep hitting the, the same spot every time because, you know, you've got to match um, between takes. When I, it actually started at the end of the shoot day. At the end of the, that 18th hour, I went, got home. I took, I took my, my clothes off before I went to bed, and it had already started, started turning uh, black and blue. And, and, I mean, a deep deep purple was in there too. I mean, it was just the whole side of my body was looking like a blood clot waiting to happen. Oh, wow. Oh, it was, I really, I, I was like, Oh my God. And forget how old I was. I think I was 18. Um, but it was, it you know, I'm supposed to be resilient at that age. Um, and granted I was, but, you know, when you're coughing and hacking and snotting and, and all of this stuff, and then, you know, people are diving in with Kleenex and makeup to make you look good, you know, and I have to come off looking like, uh, you know, some, uh, you know, cocksure guy, you know, it's like being an asshole to the girl and da 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 and, and, uh, and which I, I'm amazed that somehow I was able to pull it off and still able to hit that dance floor as many times as I did. Uh, that was probably the hardest day of shooting physically, and it was it was no cakewalk mentally either. Now, did did you uh, get to hang out with uh, Ralph Macho at all, or was it like a strictly professional? No, we had. Uh, I mean, we shot the whole. My whole sequence was done in a day, one one day. But we did hang out for lunch, and and uh, I ran in, into him at some publicity event a few years ago, and. Um, you know, he was just, he could not have been nicer. Um, and being that I was just, uh, on it for a day, he could have easily been dismissive and ignored me and what have you, but, but he really helped me get through the day. He also knew I was sick and, and I think I, I think I pulled a little bit of the sympathy card from him and Pat Morita. <laughs> yeah, they were, they, they really helped me out. Uh, that day in, in that they didn't let me get hazed too much. I think that, you know, they kept a lot of the normal hazing that would go on with somebody. I think they kept, kept the wolves at bay. 
Um, what was it like uh, singing for the unknown? <laughs> oh my God. Um, loved it. It was a blast. We actually um, opened for Tower of Power at House of Blues, and that was a that was an incredible show. I love being on stage live. Um, and, uh, and you know, we were ro- clipping along. We had interest and, and all of that fun stuff. And then just like, uh, you know, so many, so many un- unknown bands before the unknown, we stayed unknown um, because it's, it's a five-way marriage, you know. And if you don't have the right chemistry, you know, you're not going to be able to stay together for very long. And that's usually when bands break up and even when it does work you know you hear the stories of of your favorite uh uh of your favorite bands you know everybody lamented van halen going south and it's like well okay and uh but uh you know it happens if you don't get that that chemistry right you know people are at each other's throats and eventually you know the band makes each band member makes enough money to where you know someone goes you know what screw it life's too short i don't need this and that's that's what ended up happening to us. So I've, I've always been a little sad that it, that we weren't able to uh, get further than we did. But uh, I think that's a that's a really uh, I think I don't think I'm the only one that has that that sentiment in the music industry. Do you still dabble a little bit here and there? Do you go karaoke or anything like that? I I do I do every now and again. Uh, you know, I, I, I got asked to write some stuff. Uh, I, I was actually in Fame the Musical for uh, two years. I was on the road with the touring company for Fame, Fame the Musical, and, and nobody, well, nobody asked me if I could dance. They actually auditioned me vocally. So I, this was right after The Unknown had broke up. So I was available to go on tour, and I, I said, screw it, I'm, you know, I need a change of pace. And so I was able to actually keep singing after that. Um but not it, you know it's a very different thing musical theater and and uh not quite as satisfying as as being in a band and uh you know it made me miss it even more now um when and how did you get into being um an american sign language interpreter um i did a play with an interpreter and backstage uh i started you know me and another actress that was in the show we started asking him how to sign this this and that and danny vasquez is his, is his name the uh, actor slash interpreter uh and uh you know learned all the dirty signs first <laughs> and uh as as people do and you'd be surprised at how many are exactly what you think they would be and uh, uh but some aren't and, and you know and, and just kind of got hooked and then he started talking about you know, how he was able to work freelancing uh, and then go on auditions. And if he had to take off and do a project, he could come back and his job is still there. And that's really what actors struggle with so often is that they cannot, you know, I mean, they're taking these, they're not really careers that they're involved in beforehand or very few of them are careers um, unless they luck out uh, like I did. Um, uh, and they're they're just jobs. So you you know you hear the 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 cliche stories about you know well, them actors uh, waiting tables and bartending and all the rest of those transitionary jobs that uh, you know I mean there are career bartenders and and waiters. I'm not taking anything away from them, but usually that's a transitionary job while you're going to school while you're doing something else. You know even if you're in a restaurant job that you value and you love and you want to stay with. Uh, usually if you go off for a month, 
to three months to shoot a movie. When you get back, your job's not there anymore. Um, so uh, what I did was he was telling me about freelancing and, and just, you know, how I, I can do that. Uh, and then I, then as I got deeper into it, I found the skill set for an interpreter is the exact same as an actor, facial expression, body language, you know, uh, spatial awareness. And, uh, you know, I mean, there's, there's, uh, one class, uh, in, uh, as I was becoming an interpreter, uh, called creative sign. That's just a basic acting class that uh, there's nothing different. And, and it was just it, that skill set combined with the fact that I can have the freedom to decide when to work, when not to work, and if things are going well as an actor, then uh, good on me. I can finish whatever the project is without sweating, and after, after that project ends, I've got somewhere to be. It also helps me in auditions because when I walk in the door, I can, I can play, and I can really talk about having fun with the, with the project or the character. I can... I can communicate on, on an artistic level. It, 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 it's, it's always tough because the last thing that a casting director or a director wants to see in their office is an actor that needs the job. So that's uh, it became a real benefit to me, and I'm glad I did. I would still it, it didn't doesn't matter if, if I'm making you know uh, all the money I need and what have you. I would still interpret uh, no matter how well I was doing as an actor. Yeah, that's awesome. I know. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, we'll go ahead and just start wrapping up here. But uh, is there like any kind of upcoming work, the projects that you're working on right now for listeners to kind of keep an eye out? Yeah, I've got a um, well, I've got one that I'm not going to jinx because that may start up at the beginning of next month. But at the end of uh, next month, I believe uh, that's still the release date. A movie called Swing State, and uh, that's coming out uh, timed with the election, of course, and yes, it is a political, uh, I guess, a comedy, dramedy, Um, and that's coming out in November. Uh, Beyond that, I'm doing a project, uh, an internet project, actually, um, called Midtown, uh, which is already on... Right now, Midtown New York is is playing with my buddy um, Tom Malloy, yeah, Tom Malloy is uh, is the lead in Midtown, and Scott Baker, the writer, is uh, is with him, and they they're doing Midtown New York, uh, and we they've been on for I think a season or two, uh, second season, third season. I think they're they're doing season two and season three now. Uh, they're on Amazon, and uh, I am doing Midtown LA, which is uh, which is my first foyer into actual internet work and it's it's just a series you know it's a, i think the the vignettes are like seven minutes each and uh you can you can look up the midtown new york right now uh on amazon and then uh i will be coming in i think the third season for them will be our first so we're going to start that next month all right and i'd like to again thank mr Jarrett for joining me and allowing me the opportunity to interview him Again, I will include his Twitter name in the show notes. And for anybody that wants to check out any of my other content, please visit followingfilms.com for 
episodes of Hydrate Level 4 or Original Remake. You can also find uh, We Got 5 under CortonParts.com where uh, every week my co-host Devin and I, we take a topic and we list our top five of said topic. And also uh, Back to the Future, the animated series. I cover that at BarronSpace.com with my co-host Albie. But if you would like to contact me on Twitter, you can find me at HLF Podcast or you can email me at HLFpodcast at gmail.com. So until the next episode, I'm Peter and this is Hydrate Level 4.